You're listening to the Hog Beat Hour with Andrew Hutchinson, Alex Trader, and Mason Choate on ESPN Arkansas on HitThatLine.com. Now, here's your host, Mason Choate. Welcome to the Hog Beat Hour. I'm your host, Mason Choate, joined as always by managing editor of Hogbeat.com, Andrew Hutchinson, and recruiting expert at Hogbeat.com, Alex Trader. Guys, it's been forever since we've been together on this podcast. Basically, what happened was we record on Thursdays, and the past two Thursdays, Arkansas has played a basketball game in the NCAA tournament, so it wouldn't make sense to record and say nothing about the game that would have happened by the time you listened to the podcast. So we decided to just not do it anyways. But we're back, and I guess we just got to talk about this basketball season. What a season. I don't think any of us were expecting Elite Eight. I mean, I know that Hutch was not expecting Elite Eight because he said on this podcast that the team might not even make the tournament. So, Hutch, I'll just let you go first and talk about what you thought of Arkansas's run to the Elite Eight. Well, let me just say that before the season, I thought that another run in the NCAA tournament was certainly possible. I fully expected them to make the NCAA tournament. I thought that if they could just make it to the second weekend, that that would be great, and who knows what happens after that. Now, if you talk to me after the Vanderbilt game, you probably caught me in kind of a, I don't know, grumpy mood, bad mood, and I was just like, man, I can't wait to watch this team play Belmont in the NIT here at Bud Walton Arena. And that that's where it looked like the season was going. But, you know, credit to Eric Musselman. They got that thing turned around. And when they got it turned around, boy, it took off. I mean, they, they finally put a full game together against Missouri where they beat them by 43 points or whatever it was, 44, whatever. And it was off to the races from that point. I think they won, well, like 18 of their last 22 games or something crazy like that. Overall, that includes the loss in the SEC tournament and the loss to Duke in their run in the NCAA tournament. So they, they, were, they were a really, really good team, and they lived up to the hype. You know, it, it took a little bit. They had to go through some growing pains and get it all figured out with all those new pieces. But when they got it going, they, they were a top-10 team, in my opinion. I know they, the AP poll only does it at the end of the regular season. They don't come out with another poll after the NCAA tournament. Not sure why. But, uh, they, so, but you look at the Elite A, I mean, they're one of the final eight teams standing, so you, you got to say they're a – top 10 team once again uh, after making it back to the elite eight. So just a, a tremendous season and uh, it was a lot of fun covering it. So if you look back to, we didn't even get the chance to talk about the NCAA tournament at all. We didn't even get to talk about the Vermont game, the new Mexico state game. So going into the Vermont game though, it, it felt like last year against Colgate, everybody was like, Oh, this is a Vermont team. That's scary. Uh, a lot of people picked Arkansas to be upset. And then you look you look ahead. I mean, I feel like people expected Arkansas to beat New Mexico State, but then you look at Gonzaga. Nobody expected Arkansas to beat Gonzaga, the number one overall seed in the tournament. So, Alex Trader, I want to ask you, it seems like a lot of times this season, and especially in the NCAA tournament, this team was doubted not only by the national media, but by their own fan base, and they just kept proving that they can win ball games and that you shouldn't doubt them. Of course, Duke got them, but how important is that for this team to not care about the outside noise and to, to just go out there and win ball games? Yeah, I, I think the three of us mentioned it on here a couple of times throughout the season. You know, nobody thought this team – there. it was a decent upset pick, but n- not realistically many people thought Arkansas was going to beat Auburn or beat er, and then beat Kentucky and also beat Tennessee at home. Um, and, and they were able to do that every single time, every time it looked like uh, it it was time to count this team out uh, as not one of the elite eight teams in the country, we kind of saw, Oh, you know what? Well, you say, I can't do this. Let's go ahead and do it. Uh, And that was a huge, I think maybe one of the biggest characteristics from Musselman uh, or from Eric Musselman's team this season is that resiliency and that ability to every time it looked like things were going to start to turn South um, it, it was able to come back again I, I know I had the, the Arkansas over Gonzaga pick. That may have been a little bit of wishful thinking in my bracket, trying to get a couple points ahead in, in my tournament challenge. But um, I think if you're really looking at it, they can't have been a popular Elite Eight pick, especially with having to go through the number one overall seed. And 
looking back on this season as anything less than a success, I think would be doing a, a little bit of uh, a disservice to what the team did. Yeah, the way I look at this team is they weren't last year's team, like uh, as far as talent goes, in my opinion, because you look at a guy like Moses Moody, a guy like Justin Smith, Jalen Tate, those were really talented players. And of course, they had a lot of talent on this team, but it was transfer heavy. You look at Chris Likes, Adis Tony, Stanley Amude was supposed to be a great scorer, but you really didn't start seeing it until halfway through the year, anyways. But th- this team, it, it just felt like they always wanted it more than the uh, the other team. And th- they might not even have a draft pick. We don't know about Jalen Williams yet. But uh, Hutch, just for this basketball team to do what they did after the way they started, it says something about the coach that Eric Musselman is and the staff that he's put together that you look two years in a row, they had a rough stretch about midway through the season. And then not only did they turn it around and win some ball games, they turned it around and won almost every ball game. And uh, it's just... I don't know what they do or what they say, but this staff knows how to analyze and coach really well. It's really incredible because a lot of teams, I mean, these are college kids after all, a lot of teams when they get off to, you know, bad starts like that, they could easily fold up the tent and and mail in the season. We've seen that with some really, I mean, look at Kentucky a year ago, like they, they were, they were bad and they finished with a record under 500. I want to say, you know, they've had some uh, some teams like that have have really struggled teams that you really wouldn't expect to but we just haven't seen obviously we're talking about a three-year run here with Eric Musselman who knows he he may have a season like that uh, but for the most part he's able to rally the troops and, and get them to buy in and it's really hard when you've got a bunch of guys that he brought in like a bunch of transfers one-year guys I mean Stanley Mude was a one-year guy Chris likes was a one-year guy uh Trey Wade was a one-year guy. Uh, who knows what Audis Tony decides to do? Uh, he could have been just a one-year guy. Uh, these are all guys that came in thinking like, okay, well, I need to go get my points. I need to go produce so that way I can uh, position myself best for the next level. And you maybe saw a little bit of that early on and as kind of guys figured out their roles. But I thought for the most part, guys really bought into that. They bought into their roles, what helped out the team the most. And what the result was, was just going on an absolute tear through the SEC and winning some really, really tough games down the stretch. I mean, I I look at the background of uh, Mason's uh, screen and it's the the court storming after the Auburn game like that. That was such a good Auburn team, even though they didn't make the Sweet 16. You know, they beat a really good Tennessee team, a really good uh, Kentucky team. I mean, obviously those teams, you know, crap the bed once to cut the NCAA tournament but those were really good teams that they, they won and won, I, I would say with, with no real like controversy, like it was like, okay, they were clearly the better team those games. And that was just a, a really cool thing to see down the stretch. So yeah, it was a, it was an awesome season and a, an incredible testament to, to Eric Musselman for, for being able to keep the team together after that 0 and three start to SDC play and the, the five losses in six games. So let's just look back on the season, and you mentioned the Auburn game. I think we could all agree that was the best game of the year. Uh, it, 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 can we all agree with that? I think so. I mean, just just the, the, the hype leading up to it. Arkansas wasn't quite ranked at that point, but they were playing really well. Uh, they were the number one team in the country. The last time, only time you'd ever beat number one before that was North Carolina and Michael Jordan. And I know fan, or students were camped out and it was just the, the buzz and the build leading up to it. And then for it to live up to the hype and to go to overtime to end the way it did with Devo, uh, his dunk after the buzzer and uh, just the, the immediate court storm. It just it, it was one of those moments where it'll probably be on my top 10 games list for for years to come. Alex, you, you shook your head. I'm assuming you agree. Were you at the Auburn game? I was not. Um, that, that would be my only point of difference was I, I thought the Kentucky game was another one of those atmospheres where you had students lining up. I got there at 630 and, and I was still a, a good ways back into the line. So you had that same kind of atmosphere and a similar result with, with Coach Cal walking his guys off the court early. Um, but yeah, I think like Hutch said, the Auburn game, just the way it ended, the way everything went down, that has to be number one for this season. Okay. 
Uh, I agree with both of you there. I wasn't at the Kentucky game, though, so, I mean, uh, kind of like Alex, you weren't at the Auburn game, so how do you really tell? Um, but also, let's talk about team MVP. We've talked about this on the podcast a lot, um, of Jalen Williams and J.D. Note, who's team MVP. I think it's got to be between those two guys, unless you guys think it's somebody else, but I don't know why it would be. Hutch, I'll let you start, and then, Alex, you can go after that. Man, it's such a hard question because you could ask me an hour from now and I'd have a different answer. But it, it, I guess it kind of depends on how you define team MVP. I, I think, man, it's so hard. Uh, I, I, think, I think it's J.D. Note just because he was so consistent. He had the, I think, just one game where he didn't reach double figures. And, yeah, his shooting percentages weren't that great, but he did so much for you offensively on a team that really could not shoot the ball worth a flip. And the way they they were able to score was a lot a lot of the time because of him. Uh, he was a he developed into a pretty good distributor. I mean, he's not a true point guard. Eric Musselman has said that multiple times throughout the year. He's not a true point guard, but he made some really incredible passes. Uh, throughout the season and developed into that he was so good defensively tons of steals just a really good defender I thought was robbed of being on the SEC all defensive team and so I I feel like he's the guy but you could very easily make a case for Jalen Williams and again you asked me in an hour uh, I could very well say Jalen Williams they were that both of them were incredibly vitally important to this year's team yeah, I'm glad you took J.D. Note there so we can have some variability because I think it is Jalen Williams. Uh, I think just what he's been able to do, not only uh, getting buckets when, when the team needs them, especially I think a lot of this goes back to that first LSU game when he really stepped up and was able to, to take over in the end of that one and, and kind of save Arkansas's season. I, I know it ended up that might sound ridiculous now, but at the time Arkansas was spiraling. Um, and you saw them win that game against a then top 15 LSU team, and you start stacking wins after that. And in those wins, you had a streak where Jalen Williams had had a double-double every night for, for weeks, um, as well as, you know, even when he wasn't getting those points up, he was quietly bringing in 10 rebounds almost every single night. Um, I think you pair that with his defensive effort. I mean, the guy drew over 50 charges this season. That's insane. Um, I, I think, you know, JD did a lot for this team and through points or at points throughout the season, they wouldn't have won games without him. But I think uh, when it came crunch time in those really, really close games, you had Jalen Williams to kind of rely on as a guy that, hey, I know that he's going to step up here. And he did over and over and over again. Yeah, I, I agree with Alex. Jalen Williams is my team MVP, not because I don't think J.D. Note was great, but the way I look at it, like Alex said, down the stretch at the end of the season, not only did he come on with his confidence offensively, but he was he was dominating, not, not just offensively, but defensively. I mean, it was hard to score buckets in the paint against Arkansas, and a lot of that can be attributed to Jalen Williams. I'm looking – I think I'm correct by saying he had a double-double in every game in the NCAA tournament. Hutch, okay, you're shaking your head. I mean, that's that's really good, especially when you're playing teams like Gonzaga and Duke. And Jalen Williams not only showed it in the NCAA tournament, but showed it against bigs in the SEC all year that he could compete. And that was a question that we had earlier on was, can, Jaylen's, can Jalen Williams compete against bigs in the SEC? And, I mean, he proved it. And people are talking about his draft stock. We don't really know yet. It's too early to tell. But, I mean, he could get drafted. And I, I don't know what would be holding him back. Hutch, is there anything that you could think that would be holding him back? Maybe athleticism. But he's an athletic guy. We saw him drive to the paint a lot. Yeah. So, well, first I want to throw out a quick stat. You mentioned all the double-doubles Jalen Williams had in the NCAA tournament, uh, four of them uh, in four games, uh, I believe I read, I think it was hog stats. Uh, that is tied for the most, at least points, rebounds, double doubles by an Arkansas player, uh, in career NCAA games. Uh, the guy he tied is a guy named Corliss Williamson. Maybe you've heard of him. Uh, and I think, uh, the other guy that, that he passed along the way who had three is Sidney Moncrief, another guy you may have heard of. So pretty good company for Jalen Williams. As far as his draft stock, I know we'll, we'll get into this a little bit next segment, 
Uh, I do think he would benefit from a year uh, coming back for another year. There's still some areas of his game that could definitely improve. Uh, I really see him being a guy that could evolve into a first round pick. I'm not, not sure if he's quite there yet, uh, but I, I have seen a couple of, of draft boards kind of projections, including him like in that 27 to 30 range, like there at the tail end of that, that first round. But I, I just I feel like he could really submit himself as a first round pick uh, by coming back another year. But again, I'm not an NBA draft expert. I'm not the one that you know has got you know life changing money potentially ahead of me. Uh, so that's that's going to be something that Jayla Williams and Eric Musselman and his family are going to have to talk about here in the coming weeks. All right, and before we end this segment, I want to ask you guys kind of the same question of the team MVP question, but maybe. The transfer MVP question of of the guys that transferred in. So Trey Wade, Audis Tony, um, Stanley Amude, Chris Likes, Jackson Robinson. He's not going to be on the list, but um, of those guys, who do you think was was the transfer MVP for this team? The guy that came in, kind of like Justin Smith last year, and he was a big reason why Arkansas was so successful last year. And Jalen Tate. I mean, it, it's crazy how they bring in all these guys from the transfer portal. Yeah, yeah, Eric Musselman has a knack for that, doesn't he? Um, I, to me, it's Audis Tony without question. Uh, I honestly think you could – I mean, I think it's definitely J.D. Note and Jalen Williams as far as team MVP, but if there was like a third-place vote, I would probably give it to Audis Tony. Uh, that dude was so damn good defensively. Just really – I mean, he would shut guys down. What he did in that second-round game against New Mexico State, shutting down Teddy Allen – is probably an all-time defensive performance by a Razorback player. Obviously, my frame of reference is a lot smaller than some people listening, maybe. People who remember the early 90s, people who remember uh, the Eddie Sutton days. But to me, that was one of the greatest defensive performances I've ever seen. Uh, He went up from scoring 37 against UConn in the first round and being like one of the stories of the first round to I think he eventually got to double figures late. Uh, but before, I mean, he just completely disappeared for almost the entire game. I think he scored a bucket like four minutes in and then didn't score another bucket until like there was like five minutes left or something. It was like a very long stretch. And that was Audis Tony. And yes, he wasn't, you know, a guy that you could just count on to go get you a bucket on offense, but he was a really good cutter. He could go out, run in transition, get dunks, things like that. He rebounded well. But what he brought to the floor on the defensive end, and again, we'll get into this next segment, you know, how he could really benefit Arkansas to get him back. But what he did defensively maybe doesn't show up in a box score, but those who watch basketball, those who listen to where Eric Musman says, things like that, they know that he was a, a huge, huge uh, factor in Arkansas making the run that it did. Yeah, I, I think, you know, Audis Tony is the, the definite answer. He's the clear number one for, for who the transfer MVP was. Um, that doesn't mean you can't know what com- some of the other guys have done as well. I think especially down the stretch, Chris Likes was as sure as you can get from the free throw line. You put him in at the end of the game situations, even though he couldn't get a rebound because you knew that he was going to hit his shots when he got to the line. And I think a lot of times throughout the season, we saw Stanley Umude come in and, and when J.D. Note wasn't able to get or wasn't able to find the bottom of the net, he was uh, Stanley was able to come in and, you know, get that clutch bucket to kind of get the momentum rolling again. So I think like, like we mentioned, Hutch or not or not Hutch, Eric Musselman does a great job of bringing in those guys that he knows are going to find their fit at some point throughout the season. Might not be right away, but but they did again this year find their fit by the end. All right, well, we're going to wrap this segment up. We're running long, so we got to get to a next, the next segment, and that's going to be – we're going to talk about some of these newcomers for Arkansas. They now have three McDonald's All-Americans. What the heck? That's awesome. Then we're going to talk about football, and we also have to hit baseball here on the Hogbeat Hour. You're listening to the Hogbeat Hour with Andrew Hutchinson, Alex Trader, and Mason Choate on ESPN Arkansas on HitThatLine.com. Now, here's your host, Mason Choate. All right, we're back here on the Hogbeat Hour. We're going to be talking about these newcomers for Arkansas and kind of what the roster is shaping up to be next year. So Anthony Black committed. Arkansas now has three McDonald's All-Americans. 
That's crazy. And then they also landed a transfer from Missouri. So, Hutch, I'm going to let you take it away there. Before you start, though, talk about the what what the uh, the roster numbers look like because it's getting a little crowded now. We know we, we need to have some of these guys leave, um, the guys who don't have any more eligibility, but then you have the guys who do have eligibility who we're thinking are probably going to transfer out. So go ahead and take it away. Yeah, the uh, the scholarship situation, you know, we talk about this with football all the time. It's just like a giant puzzle. You get 13 scholarships, and if you include J.D. Note and Adis Tony, who, as I mentioned last segment, those are guys that were seniors this past year but could come back again because of the COVID year. Uh, so if you include those guys, they're at 15 right now. Uh, that includes Chance Moore, who has transferred. That was a little uh, news of uh, earlier this week. Uh, not really a surprise, didn't contribute as a freshman, probably wasn't going to contribute. Uh, so you're still, if, if you're going to bring in either uh, more transfers or if you're going to bring back uh, your two uh, potential super seniors and Note and Tony, you're going to have to have guys transfer out. I mean, there's, we could talk about possibilities there, but I think it's pretty obvious KK Robinson has not contributed like he probably thought he would, uh, Probably, I mean, he didn't play hardly at all. Uh, Connor Vanover is kind of the same boat. Who knows what Jackson Robinson decides to do? He he played a lot early on, or at least a decent amount, and then disappeared down the stretch. Uh, he's already transferred once before, so he wouldn't get the automatic eligibility at a new school. Uh, so maybe that plays into his factor. I don't know. Uh, there's just so much to, to consider. You know, some people even speculate, what about Devo, a Devo transfer? Uh, I think they would really like to have him back because he would provide some leadership. But again, it's a numbers game. It depends on what transfers they can get and would they make room for them by pushing someone else out. Uh, that's probably the conversations that are going on right now. So uh, that's the scholarship situation right now. And who knows, by the time you're listening to this, maybe it's changed. But uh, if you're going to bring Notan and Tony back, you probably need to have two, at least two, you do need to have at least two more people transfer and that's also assuming Jalen Williams come back as well but you also have to think <clears throat> you have all these freshmen coming in and it's six freshmen that's a lot of freshmen coming in so um I mean what is that do you know what that number is compared to um past years at least with Musselman six freshmen is a lot is that like a normal number um maybe going back to the Anderson days it's it's really high. Uh, I know there's been every every so often you get a five or six man class just because you had a bunch of seniors on the previous team or guys that you know are going to transfer out or something like that. Uh, I feel like there was a maybe one of Anderson's last years. I can't remember if it was five players. They they he brought in several. Um, uh, there was also I think that first year Anderson got here there was that big class that Pelfrey had put together. Uh, I can't remember how many people were in that class, but six is a large number. I mean, there's only 13 scholarships, as I said. So six is a, a very large number. Okay. Um, Alex, so we got to talk about the Anthony Black commitment. And you're our recruiting guy. You cover basketball a little bit, but JC Hoops does most of that for us. But, I mean, to get three McDonald's All-Americans, I mean, that's just – that's really good. And that, that's on top of the fact that you also have all six of your freshmen coming in are ESPN top 100 guys. But you get Anthony Black, this team might be ranked preseason top three, if not maybe even number one or two. Yeah, I, I mean, just from, uh, like you said, this is a lot of what JC Hoops does for us. But just from writing uh, segments about basketball, about some of these guys in the recruiting roundup, this whole class is is loaded for Eric Musselman. I mean, even the guys who you, who you look at might not be in that upper echelon of Nick Smith, Anthony Black, Jordan Walsh. They're still out there dominating their state in basketball. So I, I think it's really impressive to see what he's been able to do on the trail, especially with how well he recruits transfers as well. Um, sometimes you'll see guys who can come in and recruit those guys out of the portal, but not necessarily get it done on the recruiting trail or vice versa. Being able to do both is massive, and it's going to lead to um, potentially some really, really nice things for Arkansas in this next season. Okay. Um, Hutch, if you could just give um, a prediction of who you think is leaving 
and then what you think they would get to replace those guys, what would you say? <laughs> uh man. So I, I feel very confident that guys like KK Robinson, uh, Connor Vanover are probably transferring. That would open up the spots for Note and Tony. But then, I mean, what I, what does Kamani Johnson do? He's another guy that's already transferred once. Uh, so would he get a free transfer? He did have to sit out. Uh, for a semester I don't know how all that's going to work out but I mean Kamani Johnson Jackson Robinson those are kind of the guys that are in limbo right now are they going to come back Uh, but I do know they are still actively pursuing transfers I mean there's that the big guy I'm not even going to try to pronounce his name out at Utah Valley that is a highly sought after guy that Eric Musselman has made apparently a very high priority he would be a really good uh, piece to compliment Jalen Williams or if Jalen Williams leaves, be kind of a replacement. Uh, he's a guy that uh, is really good down low in the post. Uh, he also has shown an ability this year, at least, to be able to go at step out and, and shoot the three ball. So these are these are kind of things that are going on right now. There's also like backup plans. Like I know there's a few guys that are Arkansas would probably you know really go after hard if Audis Tony decides not to come back because you're going to need a defensive stopper uh, kind of guy like that. So. There's just so many moving parts right now that it would be really hard to make a, a full-blown prediction. Uh, but some of these things are a little bit easier to predict. Like I, Connor Vanover, K.K. Robinson, I hate it because they're both in-state kids who seem to be really good teammates, seem to really love the Razorbacks. But I just don't know if they're able to, to compete at this level, especially the way Arkansas is recruiting right now. Uh, they would probably be relegated to the bench and, and hey – Go somewhere where you can play, uh, wherever that is. So uh, that would not surprise me to see happen over the next couple of weeks. Uh, those guys transfer out, and then we'll we'll kind of zero in more on on other guys that they're they're targeting out of the portal. Plus, guys are still going in the portal every day. I mean, the, the final four is still going on right now. Uh, so there's there's still time for for big time guys to enter the portal and Arkansas to uh, go after them and land them. And uh, last thing, so we're talking about guys possibly leaving, guys that they might bring in, but let's talk about the guys that we know are coming in, and that's the freshmen. So you got the McDonald's All-Americas, Nick Smith Jr., Jordan Walsh, Anthony Black. You're expecting all those guys to be great. Um, I'm assuming that we're going to say at least two or three, maybe all three of those guys are going to be one-and-dones. I mean, Nick Smith Jr. is probably going to be a one-and-done. Maybe Jordan Walsh. I've heard that Anthony Black is probably a one-and-done. Hutch, what do you think? To me, the only one that I feel like – I would, the only one that I would be, like, just totally shocked if he isn't a one-and-done is Nick Smith. I mean, because he's being talked about as a potential top three draft pick in next summer's NBA draft. Anthony Black, Jordan Walsh, they definitely have the capability of being one-and-done. I mean, they're five-star recruits for a reason although Anthony Black currently is the highest four-star on rivals. That's a point of contention, but I digress. Um, those guys have the capability. And also, are they going to be able to shine enough and kind of stand out and, and be the dude to be a one-and-done if Nick Smith is there, if, if Jayla Williams comes back? You know, what, who knows what J.D. Note decides to do? it could be difficult for them to be one-and-dones. But then again, you see Kentucky and Duke and those kind of programs have multiple one-and-dones every year. So maybe that still happens. But to me, I feel like if I had to guess, Nick Smith will be a one-and-done and one of those two. I don't know which one. I'm going to wait and see how they develop. But I could see one of the other two being a one-and-done. And then the other guy would, could also come back as a second-year guy and be you know, kind of the dude on the next year's team. I feel like before we wrap up, we, we do need to mention the rest of the guys in the recruiting class. And that's Darian Ford, Barry Dunning Jr. And Joseph Pinion. Uh, I've been hearing a lot about Darian Ford as of late, he was Arkansas Gatorade player of the year. Um, and then you look at a guy like Barry Dunning. I mean, I, I believe he's two time Alabama Gatorade player of the year, Joseph Pinion, a, a big guy that we know can shoot the ball. Great player out of Moralton. Of those three guys, I'll let Alex go first on this one. Who are you most looking forward to? I think, at least for myself, I I, I, look, I really like Darian Ford, man. Yeah, I, I think Darian Ford, the clips that I've seen of him are very impressive. Uh, I, I, I'm i going to go Barry Dunning just because 
what I've seen from him, the accolades he, he's been able to rack up while I've been uh, looking for stuff for that recruiting roundup. Um, I'm really excited to see what he's able to do against the, those three McDonald's All-American guys and see if he's able to crack the rotation next season. Hutch, doesn't it feel kind of like Barry Dunning's the odd man out? Maybe he, he just kind of reminds me of – I'm not going to say he reminds me of Chance Moore as far as like on the basketball court, but Chance Moore is a guy that came in from Georgia and just like maybe he just didn't fit in or I, I don't really know. What do you think of Barry Dunning? You know, it's interesting. He he had a dominant, dominant senior year in high school. And and as y'all mentioned, he's a two-time Gatorade player of the year. Uh, so I, I feel like he's probably better than Chance Moore, but I don't know if he's going to have like a bigger role on you know this coming year's team. It's going to really depend on how he develops. You know, with these three guys, I see all three of them kind of having limited roles as freshmen. But it would not surprise me in the, in the slightest if one of them steps up and kind of comes out of nowhere. I mean, think back to Devo Davis uh, in that four-man group uh, that first year, uh, the first class that Eric Mussman signed. You know, he was probably the guy that most of us thought, well, he, he's a solid player, but he'll probably take a little bit to develop. And, and you know, a couple of years from now, he'll be a really good one. And he was in the starting rotation by the end of his freshman year, totally exceeding expectations. So, I would not be surprised if one of those guys is that, um, you know, could it be Pinion because of his shooting? I don't know. Could it be, you know, Barry Dunning? Uh, he's a, he was a dominant rebounder. I don't know if he'll be like that at, at college level. Uh, and, or is it Darian Ford who is just an incredibly hard worker? I mean, just seeing the stuff that he does on a daily basis is really impressive. And he's an in-state kid and, and has been kind of on the scene for a while. And he won a ton of games. Like, I think he lost one game over his last three years in high school at Magnolia. So uh, I, I really – I would not be surprised if one of those guys works his way into like a solid role, maybe off the bench or maybe even starting and surprise us a lot. Uh, but I feel like one of those guys will contribute as freshmen. All right. Well, we're going to wrap this segment up. we got to get to some spring football action. Uh, a new person at wide receiver. We'll talk about that. And then we will talk about the baseball team as well here on the hog beat hour. You're listening to the hog beat hour with Andrew Hutchinson, Alex Trader and Mason Choate on ESPN, Arkansas on hit that Now here's your host, Mason Choate. All right, we're back here on the hog beat hour. We got to talk some football. Spring football is in session and the biggest news is the backup quarterback, as always, is the biggest news. But Malik Hornsby, backup quarterback, is now taking reps at practice or taking reps at wide receiver in practice per Sam Pittman. So everybody's excited about that. I mean, we know he's got the speed, but the question is, can he catch and can he run after the catch, Hutch? Yeah, and, I mean, we don't really have an answer on that yet. We did get to see him line up at receiver at Tuesday's practice, which i got to give a quick shout-out to the U of A. They have opened up practices to the media for spring. Uh, we don't get to watch Saturday scrimmage, which is kind of a bummer, but we get to watch full-length practices. And I don't think I can say this enough. Shout-out to Sam Pittman. Shout-out to the U of A for opening that up for us. Uh, but, yes, on Tuesday we got to see Malik running at receiver. Uh, he did not, I don't think I watched him pretty close. I don't think I saw him actually run down the field on a route. Uh, most of his stuff was motioning before the snap. There were several times where he would motion over into the backfield and KJ would motion out and, you know, line up in the, the slot or something. Uh, there were times where he would, uh, kind of do a, just a little screen, uh, route. Uh, so it, he really didn't do a whole lot of running downfield in routes, uh, so we haven't really seen how he can do that and if he could catch down the field. He did catch a little swing pass at one point, and he really showed off his quickness and speed. But, again, he's in a black jersey. You can't touch the quarterbacks. Even though he's lined up at receiver, you still can't touch him. Uh, and so it's really hard to say how it's going so far. But I really like the creativity. I'm not going to lie. I, I think it's fantastic. He's got a lot of speed, a lot of talent. And good things happened when the ball was in his hands last year, at least running. I think he still has to develop quite a bit as a passer. Uh, but with the ball in his hand as a playmaker, he is really, really good. And I can see why the coaches are trying to come up with any way possible to uh, 
get the ball in his hands in space. On the topic of wide receiver, you also have to mention Jaden Hazelwood, the transfer from Oklahoma. Alex, you said you went and saw him at practice and you were really impressed. Is this a guy that, I mean, he's not going to be trailing Burks, but are we, we, we can at least expect him to take some of the target share that Burks had last year. Yeah, I, I think that's almost a definite at this point. Um, the first I was I was able, only able to go to the first spring practice so far, uh, but while I was there, he was running um, first with the threes, then moved up with the twos, got a couple one on one reps. Uh, I believe the first rep of one on ones they had was him against Jalen Catalan, and that was a real battle. Um, he had a good route, almost came away with it. Catalan came in just at the end and was able to swipe it away. But he's giving that that big time uh, competition to a guy like Jalen Catalan right off the bat, a former five-star. He's coming in. He has the talent. I think it's more of a matter of how is he going to fit into this offense. And I think um, given the, the wide receiver depth right now being uh, mostly him and then Keetron Jackson Jr. as well, we're going to see Kendall Bryles fit those guys in a lot to what they're doing. So I, I feel like with basketball going on, spring football has kind of gotten a little overshadowed, which it's a little weird because football usually still controls the, the narrative, especially even if it's spring ball. But, of course, the basketball team makes it to the Elite Eight. That's how it goes. But, Hutch, maybe some storylines that people might have missed or some storylines out of practice that have been your big takeaway so far. We know the Malik Hornsby thing, but anything else you could add that maybe people just didn't see because basketball is going on? Yeah, I mean, there's a big question as to who's going to be the starting left tackle uh, with Myra Cunningham being gone. I know we've talked about that on the podcast before, but now it appears that Luke Jones is going to be that guy, uh, at least so far. Uh, Devin Manuel is pushing him, but he's been, as far as I could tell, been the second team guy pretty much all the time. And, and Luke Jones has been the first team guy. Uh, another offensive line little tidbit is that uh, Marcus Henderson has moved to center and is the backup center. He's gotten a lot of first-team reps because Ricky Stromberg, he got dinged up the first week, nothing serious. He's able to come back on Tuesday, so nothing to worry about there. Uh, but he did get some first-team reps again on Tuesday, probably because you know Ricky Stromberg is getting kind of the star treatment where he's not going every single rep, just like Bumperpool, just like Jalen Catalan. Uh, you're not going to put them out every rep in the spring because, hey, they've been there, done that, you know what you got in them. You want to see what guys like Marcus Henderson can do. Uh, then, you know, along those same lines, you want to see what uh, Drew Sanders can do, the transfer uh, from Alabama, the linebacker. Uh, we've seen him. He's still mo – uh, most of the transfers, I mean, Hazelwood, Sanders, Breeny, uh, McGlothern, they're all mostly running second team right now, uh, and I'm, I'm okay with that. Some people freak out, but Sam Pittman is making them earn their spot in the depth chart, uh, and they've all flashed, and, and, but with Bumper getting some time off, uh, you know, in practice, uh, you're seeing Drew Sanders go out there and go with Pooh Paul, uh, the redshirt freshman. Uh, they really like those three guys. I, it would not surprise me if those are the three guys that you see kind of have the role of Bumper, Hayden, and, and Grant Morgan uh, last year, where they were, you know, basically a three-man rotation for two spots. So I, that, that would be something, you know, those transfers, how they're fitting in. The secondary is still kind of coming together. Dwight McGlothern is a guy that has rotated. He's been mostly second team, but he's also rotated some with the first team at corner. Uh, Brini, I think, has done the same. He's more running kind of the nickel spot, as expected. Uh, can also play some safety. Uh, so, yeah, there, there's just a lot of, of kind of depth chart stuff. Kind of, It's starting to slowly develop, uh, but it's not going to – the depth chart today is not going to be the depth chart at the end of spring, and that's not going to be the depth chart – come September 3rd, I want to say, against Cincinnati. It, it's going to develop and change uh, throughout the next couple of weeks of practice. So with, with spring ball, it, as Hutch said, you know, it's kind of just it's just practice. There's a, a lot of what happens is not, is not set in stone. But, Alex, for you, maybe is there a question that you want answered about this team or um, just something that you're looking at and you're saying this is something that I would like to see moving forward into the summer and then once we get to the fall, um, just here out of the spring practices? Uh, I, I don't know if it's necessarily a question mark, but I do want to see how these wide receivers fit in, how the tight ends are going to be utilized this season, um, what kind of offense we're going to see from Kendall Bryles. We saw last season it was very, very run heavy. You were returning a lot of those backs. 
You're bringing in another uh, really talented back in Rashad Dubinian. Um, and you also have a very talented, and I'd argue a little bit of a deeper receiver room this season. You might, you don't have that top end talent of Traylon Burks. We don't think at least, um, but you do have a, a couple of guys. You have an older Keytron Jackson, you have Warren Thompson back, and, and you have a guy that was a former five-star recruit in Jaden Hazelwood. So I think if you're able to bring that all together, could you see more of a balance between the offense, make KJ even more of a dual threat um, as teams will have to account for the passing in, in a full capacity? I think that's going to be really what determines what kind of offense we're going to see from, from the Razorbacks this season. All right, and before we wrap up, Hutch, just go ahead and remind us. I don't know if you have the schedule for spring practice pulled up, but go ahead and remind us because I feel like for the the average fan or listener, they don't really know what the schedule is for practice or when the when the quote unquote spring game is. Yeah, so the practices now are going to be uh, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday of every week. Um, for, I guess for four week stretches is the first of four straight weeks are going to go. They had a week off for spring, uh, spring break. Uh, but their, their scrimmages are mostly going to be on Saturdays, the spring game. And I put it in air quotes now because, uh, it's not going to be a traditional spring game because a guy named Garth Brooks is coming to do a concert on April 23rd. That would be the normal spring game. Cause that's the last day of spring ball. Uh, instead a week before that, I believe that would be what April 16th. Uh, that is when they're going to have the quote unquote spring game. It's going to be an open practice. They're going to scrimmage. So you're going to get to see uh, what you would normally see a little bit. You know, you're going to get to see, you know, the offense and defense going against each other, tackling to the ground, things like that. Um, and uh, that's when they're going to have it. I think it's going to be at least streamed, if not televised on SEC network, ESPN plus, I don't know, something. There is going to be a way to watch it. Uh, we'll have that all, all those details on hogbeat.com when it, when it comes available. Uh, but yeah, it, it's going to be a little bit weird this year. Uh, thanks to uh, old buddy uh, Gar- Garth Brooks coming to, to have a concert. Well, I, I think it's cool that they're having a concert in Razorback stadium. That's something that, sh- that I, I think they should probably do more often, but um, all right, we're going to end this segment and then we're going to talk some baseball. It is baseball season. If, if those of you, um, who don't watch baseball can remember, but we're going to talk about that up next here on the Hogbeat Hour. You're listening to the Hogbeat Hour with Andrew Hutchinson, Alex Trader, and Mason Choate on ESPN Arkansas on hitthatline.com. Now, here's your host, Mason Choate. All right, back here on the Hogbeat Hour for our last segment. We're talking baseball right now, and uh, it's been a long time since we talked basketball, but then it's also been a long time since we talked baseball. SEC play has started. Arkansas played Kentucky and Missouri. Uh, Kentucky swept them. Missouri, what a disgusting series that was in Columbia. Their field is a joke. We talked about it on the Diamond Hogs podcast. Go listen and subscribe to that. But, Hutch, I want to get your take because you usually have strong opinions on things like this. So just Missouri's field, just tell me what you think. They are not an SEC program in baseball. I mean, simply put, that's just the way it is. Their, their field is a joke. Uh, they don't have any fans. I think I saw on Friday their official attendance was like 800-something, and I swear at least half of that was Arkansas fans. Listening to it, like just if you closed your eyes and just listened to the game, you would have thought it was an Arkansas home game based on like the cheers and things like that. And then you throw on the fact that they are just a terrible, terrible team. Uh, I mean, they're just they, – they should not have lost that Saturday game to them. Uh, they wouldn't have if their bullpen didn't just absolutely implode in the seventh inning. Uh, but that was just a, a, a horrible, horrible series of, of baseball games. Just ugly. They were like the bad news bears defensively. Uh, they, they, could, they could swing it a little bit. Um, their pitching was garbage. Uh, Arkansas should have probably hit them a little bit better. But, you know, we've seen the bats are kind of streaky <laughs> this year, to say the least. Uh, just a just a terrible team. I would be shocked if that team wins ten SEC games this year. Yeah, no, I agree. Missouri was really bad, especially fielding. I mean, they had a couple guys that could hit the ball, but Arkansas Arkansas shouldn't have lost Saturday's game, but they did. And so Arkansas still won two out of three against Missouri. That's a series victory. And then they came back home and they played Little Rock. 
looked really bad at first. Adamia gives up four runs in the first before he can even get three outs. He gets pulled for Miller Plyman, and then Plyman comes in, gets the out. But you looked at it, Arkansas was down six nothing before they put anything up on the board. And then once they put something up on the board, you look at it, and let me pull up the, the box score here. So then you get to the fifth inning. So they score two in the third, but you get to the fifth and sixth innings, Arkansas scores nine runs combined, and then in the eighth they put up five more. This is a team that you said they have streaky bats, and that was that was streaky bats, especially there in the fourth and fifth innings, because once they get hot, I mean, they get, they get going. They have shown at times, like with the stretch you're talking about against Little Rock, that they are as dangerous as we thought they would be offensively. Um, that's been a little bit of a surprise that they haven't been like that more frequently. Uh, so yeah, it, they, they do have that firepower. And if they, if they get on a roll and the other team is starting to struggle and everything, then they can really make you pay and to, to go from down six, nothing to winning 16 to eight, pretty impressive. Uh, that, that is pretty, pretty impressive. So uh, you hope that those bats can stay hot. You know, they did They did have to cancel Wednesday's game because of the weather and everything. That kind of sucks. But, you know, probably helps save some pitching. And if you can keep those bats hot against Mississippi State, then you could be looking at a 13th straight SEC series victory. Well, speaking of hot bats for Arkansas, Braden Webb, I mean, he's <laughs> turned it around. Not I, I'd be lying if I said I expected it. I'd be lying if I said – that I thought that he was going to keep getting chances. I mean, I guess I should have thought he would because he keeps getting chances either way. But we're starting to see the Braden Webb that Dave Van Horn talked about preseason. And for a while there, we thought, what the heck was he seeing that we're not seeing? And now we're starting to see it a little bit, especially at the plate. There was, I will say, there was a play against Little Rock where Braden Webb just completely misplay, misplayed a ball in center field, and it was embarrassing. I don't know if you saw that one or not. I didn't. I heard it on the radio. The guys on the radio made it sound like it was a wicked hop. I don't know if it was that was the case. That's maybe generous. They did give them an error. So I was like, well, if it was a wicked hop, it shouldn't be an error. But it was um, it was an error. It was a ball that it okay. was a play that should have been made. Okay. Well, and especially considering it's Braden Webb, who the reason he stayed in there so long, as you were mentioning, was because of his defense. And he is a very good defender. But hey, everyone makes an error every now and then. So it's understandable, and the way he's swinging the bat lately, you're willing to forgive it because he has been just absolutely tearing the cover off the ball. Uh, I think he leads the team in home runs now, and this is a guy that a couple of weeks ago was 0 for 23 before he got his first hit, which just happened to be a grand slam, granted against Grambling. Uh, but that seemed to really kind of spark him and get him going. Uh, and this is this is a guy, as you said, this is Dave Van Horn back during the, the fall. I wrote a story about it. Say, and he said that he could be a guy that has kind of a Kevin Copps-like breakout, a guy that really struggled last year uh, and really hasn't done it all, put it all together. It's a guy who could do that. And if he did, he would be an all-SEC caliber player. And if he continues to hit like he has last couple of weeks, I see no reason why he couldn't be an all-SEC caliber guy, which is just incredible to say after how miserable of a start he got off to. And we, we've also started to see some guys emerge out of the bullpen. Cole Ramage, to start the season, was the guy. I have no clue what's happened to him. I mean, he has looked he's looked pretty bad over his last few outings. But you look at a guy like uh, Brady Tigert, He's been really good. Zebulon Vermillion finally gave up a hit in a couple runs, but he's been great as well. Um, I think that Evan Morris, um, he's a guy that you, you – you, not Evan Morris, um, Evan Taylor, sorry. I was looking at Zach Morris's name while I was reading that. Evan Taylor is a guy that you like out of the pin as well. Hutch, who have you been most confident of Arkansas coming out of the pin? I think it's got to be Brady Tigert, right? I mean, that guy, a true freshman – uh, coming in at the back end of games and high pressure situations. I mean, he's got what four saves now. And I think three of those are an SEC play in two weekends. So uh, he has been really impressive. Uh, you know, I, I wonder what's going on with Zed Vermillion because he got off to a really solid start I and mean, he didn't give up a hit for the first nine innings that he pitched. And then he went in against Missouri and gave up single, single, single. 
and that was part of just the, the implosion of that bullpen. Uh, so there, there have been some guys. I mean, uh, a guy that I know everyone is really excited about is Gabe Starks, just because he's so young. He's got incredible stuff. It's just a matter of can he consistently get it over the plate. Uh, he does only have three walks this year, but he also has three wild pitches in five and two-thirds innings. Uh, so that just kind of co- shows you that command is not quite there. But if he can get it, if he can zero in on the strike zone, he could be a dangerous arm out of the pen as well. So there, there's definitely some options. They're still kind of working through it. But the other th- on the flip side of it is if your starting pitchers keep getting you deep into, into games and give you quality innings like we've seen so far, you don't need as many bullpen guys. So if you got this kind of starting pitching last year with Kevin Copps on the team, I mean, shoot, you could just go Connor Nolan, Kevin Copps, Hagen Smith, Kevin Copps, Jackson Wiggins, Kevin Copps, and then boom, you only need four pitchers the whole weekend. Uh, but of course that wasn't the case last year. So really credit to the starting pitchers for kind of taking some pressure off the bullpen uh, through the first few weeks of the season. Yeah, you, you look at Jackson Wiggins, what he went seven and a third against Missouri, I believe. That was a career long. And if you can get seven and a third out of Jackson Wiggins, I'm, I'm trying to confirm that. Yeah, seven and a third, that would be great. And then you bring in Brady Tiger for one and two thirds of an inning. He gets two strikeouts, gives up no hits, no, no runs, no nothing. That's a great one-two punch there. And so it's looking good for Arkansas on the mound for the most part, but at the plate, if you have guys like Brandon Webb who are not doing well, we're about to start seeing Jace Borfin again as far as what we hear. That would be great to see. But also, now that Braden Webb is doing good, then you have even more of a crowded lineup. I mean, maybe because Brady Slavens is doing so bad, you don't have to worry about him. So just real quick, what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, it sounds like Jace Borfin is coming back. You know, uh, Dave Van Horn said that he was really close on Tuesday, had a really good batting practice. Uh, so if he can come back, then Brady Slavin's better get his acting gear because at-bats are going to be tough to come by for those outfield spots. All right, well, we got to wrap it up. And before we do, I want to remind you that Arkansas plays defending national champion Mississippi State this weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday series. Uh, Mississippi State is 16 and 10 on the year, and I believe they have a losing record in SEC play, or they're three and three, one of those two. Do you know off the top of your head? I think they're three and three. I think they lost their first series and then won their second series, both 2 1. Okay. Um, but yeah, I, it's been a little bit of a disappointment for Mississippi State. You got to think, I mean, Landon Sims, their ace, he got hurt, had to get Tommy John, so that stinks for them. But either way, Arkansas plays Mississippi State. Friday's game will be. On national television, Hutch, it's going to be on the SEC Network. So there you go. Good for you. Uh, It's going to be at 6 p.m., 6.30 Saturday, 2 p.m. on Sunday to round it out. But it's going to be an exciting series, the best home series so far for the Hawks. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Defending national champs, as you said, they have been very disappointing. Almost lost to Grambling at one point this year. So that kind of tells you a little bit how how big of a struggle it's been. Uh, But, yeah, really looking forward to this series coming up. All right, well – Thank you, Hutch. Thank you, Alex Trader. And thank you for listening to the Hogmeade Hour.